please go to Deuteronomy chapter 5. Deuteronomy chapter 5. This is the parallel passage to Exodus chapter 20, dealing with the Ten Commandments. And from Deuteronomy chapter 5, let's begin this message and today's live service, if we may, in verse 6. I am the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. So once again, the Lord is speaking. And Moses, along with the people, is probably standing back in absolute shock, in absolute awe. Up until this point in time, Almighty God has spoken to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, like directly, not via the people. And up until this time, he's spoken directly to Moses. It's possible that Aaron heard glimpses of conversations from God. And it's possible that Joshua heard glimpses of conversations from God. But for the most part, Almighty God is speaking directly to Moses, going back to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And therefore, for this occasion, everybody can hear him. And yet it's not quite as clear as you would think. Look at verse 7. Thou shalt have none other gods before me. Not as easy as you may think. A lot of people are close to others, obviously, and sometimes saved people speak very fondly of their children or their grandchildren, or their husbands, or their wives, to the point that sometimes you think that it is bordering idolatry. A lot of people around the world are into what's called nationalism. They are almost worshipping their country. They almost worship their political leaders. have got to be careful when it comes to, on the one hand, respecting our elders, our leaders, and praying for such people, and not straying over into idolatry, like becoming an apologist for one's president, or prime minister, or king or queen. Verse 8, thou shalt not make thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the waters beneath the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself unto them, nor serve them, for I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. So you may be a painter, you may be an artist, you may be very good at what you do, you may be a writer, you may be a producer, you may be a director, you may have thousands of people that follow you on Twitter. But what I said over the last couple of weeks, I'm going to say very briefly again, that some of the greatest uh, painters have painted the Lord, whether it's Jesus or the Father or the Spirit. They painted angels, seraphims, cherubims. They've got a take on what it looks like in heaven, under the earth, on the earth. And it may be that they aren't bowing down and worshipping such images, but can you be sure that their followers aren't? How about Holman Hunt, a very wonderful artist? Was he a Christian? High Church. High Church, probably Church of England. And I wonder if he was even aware that that picture that he painted of the Lord standing outside somebody's house from the book of uh, Revelation. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens the door, I will come and sit with him, so on and so forth. I wonder if he ever thought how possible it was how likely it was that some of his admirers would have his paintings up on their walls and every so often would get on their knees and pray facing such a picture he may not have done it himself i'm sure jack chick never got on his knees and faced one of his paintings and prayed to one of his paintings i'm sure peter upman never got on his knees and prayed to one of his paintings but who's to say that his followers their followers didn't do such a thing so Eight and nine, condemnation, judgment, but verse 10, Almighty God will show mercy, and that's what we want. We want mercy unto thousands of them that keep, love me, and keep my commandments. Of course, the term millions from memory is only found once in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, the term millions from memory doesn't appear because in the Greek language, the term million 
or especially billions, doesn't appear. Thousands does, but only once do you find the term millions found in the Old Testament. So therefore the Lord, when speaking about many that will follow him and walk with him as best as they can, he refers to such as thousands, not millions, and also he's referring to the tribes, the twelve tribes, the fathers, the leaders over the tribes. Not all of Israel was guilty of idolatry, but a good number were. Verse 11, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. OMG, JC, oh my gosh. All acronyms for blasphemy, gee whiz. And down the line, we'll discuss this in more depth. Uh, look at verse 12, Keep the Sabbath day to sanctify it, as the Lord thy God hath commanded thee. Sabbath day being a Saturday, a lot of people are still into the Sabbath. After the Trinity, we get a lot of questions about the Sabbath. A lot of people want to keep the Sabbath. A lot of people want to do religion. They come to the Lord. They want to do more than just believe on him. They want to become very religious. This goes back to the Galatians problem. They were very religious. They didn't want to just rest in the Lord's finished work. They wanted to do religion. Contrast that to the Corinthians. They wanted to feed the flesh, carnal. Two types of Christian, legalistic or lawless, legalistic or carnal. It's very rare to find somebody in the middle. 13. Six days thou shalt labour and do all thy work. No mention of welfare, no mention of unemployment. But the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work. Thou nor thy son, nor thy daughter, nor thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thine ox, nor thine ass, nor any of thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates, that thy manservants and thy maidservant may rest as well as thou. It's not just about you, it's about your staff and your employees. If you hire people, if you have servants, or obviously we don't have slaves anymore, but if you have servants or employees and you are a Christian, you should allow them to have a day's break, a day's rest. Don't work them into the ground. 15. And remember that thou wast a servant in the land of Egypt, and that the Lord thy God brought thee out thence through a mighty hand and by a stretched out arm. Therefore the Lord thy God commanded thee to keep the Sabbath day. Mark it out. I want you to observe it every Saturday, because what I did for you was tremendous, it was miraculous, nobody else ever bothered with you, nobody else will ever love you as much as Jesus does, honour thy father and thy mother, as the Lord thy God hath commanded thee, that thy days may be prolonged, and that it may go well with thee, in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, so honouring your parents, feet into the land, for today, the millennial reign, will be the cross reference to this, Paul picks this up over in uh, the sixth chapter of the book of uh, Ephesians, and he says honour your parents, and if you don't honour your parents for the Old Testament, you put to death. And on top of that, the land will be taken from you. For today, if a saved person doesn't honour their parents perpetually and becomes a perpetual, a perpetual thorn in their side, uh, and of course if they're saved, that's the key. If you are a saved child and you have saved parents, or even if you don't have a saved parents, let's say you are a saved child and you have unsaved parents and you dishonour them, the chances are you could lose your millennial inheritance. That's how serious this is. Thou shalt not commit adultery physically and spiritually, and there's also a third application to this which we'll discuss down the line. Neither shalt thou steal. You can take someone's thought, plagiarize it. Mary Baker Eddy did that. She plagiarized a lot of people's writings and offered them as her own. A lot of famous writers over the years have copied other people's work. A lot of composers over the years have copied other people's work and offered it as their own. Neither shalt thou bear false witness against thy neighbor. Don't lie about someone or something. Watch your mouth. And again, Nine out of the Ten Commandments, if you break them perpetually, in fact, if you break them just once, let's be quite honest, if you break them just once, you are not, not only a lawbreaker, but if you break them just once, you risk being put to death. Neither shalt thou desire thy neighbor's wife, neither shalt thou covet thy neighbor's house. 
his field, or his manservants, or his maidservant, his ox, or his ass, or anything that is thy neighbor's covetousness. If you covet, you are an idolater. I showed you that a couple of weeks ago from, was it Colossians chapter 3 from memory? Coveting, lusting is idolatry. You are constantly wanting someone or something, and Almighty God has no time for it. So these verses from Deuteronomy 5, 6 to 21 repeat the Ten Commandments, which are found ten times explicitly in Scripture, seven times inexplicitly, three times explicitly, and this is the law. This is the law in a nutshell, that God wants to be worshipped in a particular way. And you ask me, why do people create images uh, concerning the Lord? Well, because people are visual. In some ways, it's normal, isn't it? Somebody once said that women fall in love with what they hear, whereas men fall in love with what they see. People want to see what they are worshipping. People want to have an idea as to what God looks like. Catholics and Buddhists and Hindus are probably the worst for this. They create image after image, and for the Jews... Back in the days of Moses, they spent 400 years in Egypt. They had uh, angels or demons, demons and fallen angels all around them. They had statues, images, relics of these pagan gods. And they thought, well, if the, if the Egyptians could have such images, why can't we? They're able to know what their gods look like. Why can't we? Catholics come along and say, well, why can't we have a picture of Jesus or a picture of Mary? Back in 2005, when John Paul II died, a news crew in uh, St. Peter's Square interviewing people that were gathering to get news about the death of the Pope from Krakow, Poland. And they interviewed one old gentleman, he may have been from Poland, and he said this, he said, well, for years we prayed for him, now we're going to pray to him. They believe that. An honest Catholic will have to clarify that and say, well, what we believe is when a Catholic prays to Mary, for example, or one of their favourite saints or a previous Pope, those people pray with them. They call that intercession. If you are a Catholic, you are to believe, you are to Received by faith that those people can hear you, first of all, and secondly, that they have the power and that they have the authority to intercede for you. But if you really think about it carefully, it makes no sense. How can John Paul II, how can Mary, how can John XXIII, how can St. Christopher or St. Jude or any body that you care to remember, how can they intercede for you 24-7? Are they God? For you to pray to somebody, let's say you are in Poland or Hungary or Chile or Mexico or Portugal or Germany, and you pray to your favourite saint three or four times a day, or let's be conservative, twice a day, can they hear you? Your church says they can. Can they intercede for you? Your church says they can. And number three, do they have the power to grant you what you want? For that to be possible, they have to be omnipresent, omniscient, and omnipotent. There's no other way to really understand this. And yet Catholics all over the world are praying to their gods, because that's what they are, in essence, gods. If you pray to someone outside of the Lord, you are praying to a deity, and you're praying in faith that they can hear you and that they have the authority and the power to grant you what you want. If you are a Catholic, let me ask you this. Is Almighty God not enough for you? Is Jesus Christ not enough for you? If you were a Jew back in the Old Testament, was Jehovah not enough for you? And you know what they would say to you? If they were honest with you behind closed doors, they would say, no, he's not enough for us. We want more. We need more. We want to see what the Lord looks like. We want to paint pictures of him. It could be Hunt. It could be chick it could be peter upman it could be any of the greats that i've mentioned over the last couple of sundays secular and saved or secular and religious secular or christian makes no difference we need more we want to know what our lord looks like the egyptians can do it the buddhists the hindus can do it and they paint and they paint and they paint and every time they do that they are condemned themselves go to deuteronomy chapter six please i want to continue looking at the theme of idolatry joseph would play games with his brothers back in genesis he would say he was able to divine and he got that cup and he put the cup in one of his brother's sacks and he put the fear of God into his brothers. 
I mean, literally put the fear of God into his brothers. And we may discuss that down the line when it comes to lying and stealing and bearing false witness. But from Deuteronomy chapter 6, look at verse 13, please. Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God and serve him and shalt swear by his name. You shall not go after other gods or of the gods of the people which are round about you. For the Lord your God is a jealous God among you, lest the anger of the Lord thy God be kindled against thee, and destroy thee from off the face of the earth. Destroy thee from off the face of the earth. Kill you, in essence. Away with you who was caught worshipping other gods, naming the name of other gods. They were told not even to name the names of other gods. If he was caught, or she was caught, she was executed, he was executed. That's how serious this whole thing is. But 13 again, thou shalt fear the Lord thy God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And serve him, and shalt swear by his name. In other words, he's all that you need. You shouldn't be straying and playing around with other gods. And yet what do people do today? They do just that. Charismatics get into mysticism. They start praying in tongues. They start speaking in tongues. They are always looking for a new experience. And they go from church to church. They speak and they meet some of these charismatic leaders. And sometimes they go forward to be slain in the spirits and those leaders put their hands on such people and it's my belief that they are receiving unclean spirits mm. you shall not go after other gods of the gods of the people which are round about you in the context egypt babylon down the line and for today false gods like islam hinduism roman catholicism for the lord thy god is a jealous god among you like a parents over their child or husband or wife concerning their spouse lest the anger of the lord be kindled against thee and destroy thee from off the face of the earth well at least the lord is consistent he wipes out those from the days of noah he would wipe out those from the days of lots and co and during the tribulation he's going to wipe out what two billion people three billion people at least he's consistent numbers chapter 20 Miriam and aaron both die they both die in the same chapter they both lose their place in the promised land what a bitter pill to swallow. For 40 years, they've been traveling around the desert with Moses, their brother, and they messed up on multiple occasions. And the Lord said, right, first of all, Miriam is going to die, and she did. Then he said, Aaron's going to die, and he did. And he said, Moses is going to die, and he did. God has no respect to a person's. He would whip Paul multiple times. Paul was physically ill most of his life. Had to take doctors with him, or a doctor with him, like Dr. Luke on a regular basis. Simon Peter was sent to Babylon modern-day Iraq, to preach the gospel. He wanted to probably stay in Jerusalem, but he was sent to Babylon. Most of the apostles were murdered for their faith. Some of those were, or some of those deaths were as a result of carnality, but not all, not all. Paul would lament over his two natures from Romans chapter 7. He was told not to go up to Jerusalem from the book of Acts, and he went up anyway, picturing free will. I know our Calvinists' friends don't like me saying this, but we do have free will. We had free will to be saved. We have free will after we are saved. That's why you were told to lean. You were told to yield. You were told to surrender to the Holy Ghost. Almighty God won't do that for you. He expects you to do that yourself. So these verses from Deuteronomy chapter 6 verses 13 and 15 make the case that if a Jew goes south and gets caught up in idolatry and never repents of it, will probably end up being killed. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 7. Deuteronomy chapter 7, Deuteronomy chapter 7, look at verse 2. And when the Lord thy God shall deliver them before thee, thou shalt smite them, and utterly destroy them. Thou shalt make no covenant with them, nor show mercy unto them. Neither shalt thou make marriages with them. 
thy daughter thou shalt not give unto his son, nor his daughter shalt thou take unto thy son. And yet today we have what is referred to as an ecumenical marriage. If you are a Catholic and you want to marry a non-Catholic, you're allowed to have your rabbi present or your imam present. There have been many mixed marriages that take place all over the world. Or if you are a Jewess and you want to marry a Gentile, that's okay. That's okay. You can have your Gentile pastor or vicar present. I think from memory, uh, when Chelsea Clinton got married, she married a Jew. And it was an ecumenical service. And I seem to recall that a Methodist minister was present at this Jewish uh, marriage. It takes place all of the time. In uh, Ivanka Trump's case, when she married uh, Jared, he was a Jew. He, convert, he got her to convert to Judaism. She'd been raised a Presbyterian. And as far as she was concerned, she didn't want anybody from that, bar, uh, that background, her past, present. It was just marriage with a rabbi present. But I can think of many people over the years that have married non-believers. I'm not sure why. You're told not to do that. I can think of two people that come to my mind straight away, which I shan't name, obviously. I can think of a man who married an unsaved woman, and I can think of a woman who married an unsaved man. Why would you do that? It's one thing to get saved later in life and have an unsaved wife or an unsaved husband. Paul tells you to stay put, First uh, Corinthians chapter 7. But why would you marry an unsaved man or an unsaved woman? Why would you do that? Why would you torture yourself? And here, 7, 2 and 3, you can't uh, have anything to do with them. You can't yoke up with them. And on top of that, you can't give your children to marry their children. And yet it happens every day of the week, doesn't it? Ecumenical marriages, priests present with rabbis, with imams, all holding hands. Vicars are just as guilty. Church of England leaders are just as guilty. Apostate Protestants, Baptists, Presbyterians, Methodists. I mean, it just is endemic. It's all over the place. And here, verse 3 again, Neither shalt thou make marriages with them. Thy daughter thou shalt not give unto his son. Nor his daughter shalt thou take unto thy daughter. In the context concerning Israel, in the context concerning the Jews, back in the days of Moses, in other words, you marry within your own tribes. The Jews are a people, they are a race. They are a race and they are a religion. Not all Jews are religious, but all Jews are Jews. And for the day, back in the time of Moses, for a Jew to marry a Gentile was shocking. And it's my belief, one of the reasons why there was so much animosity in the early church was because a lot of these Jewish leaders and Jewish disciples of the Lord, who were saved, incidentally, hated the Gentiles. These savages are coming into our church, and they don't have to circumcise themselves, really? You mean to tell me they don't have to watch what they eat? You mean to tell me they don't have to observe the Sabbath? And those Jewish leaders were in the ear of Simon Peter, asking Peter to explain himself to them. And it was down to Peter to say to those people, well, Paul is saying this, and Paul is saying that, and the Lord did say this, and the Lord did say that. But come on, Simon Peter. Why would the Lord Jesus Christ want Gentiles to come into his church? They are desecrating the church. We are Jews. We go back thousands of years. And these savages are coming in. They can't even speak Hebrew or Aramaic. And that's what it was all about. And old Peter starts to buckle. He starts to apostatize, Galatians chapter 2. And he stops sitting with the Gentile believers and starts to sit with the Jewish believers. And Paul gets wind of that and he challenges him. So this is what is going on when it comes to Jewry and the Gentile believers. For the New Testament, but going back to the Old Testament. Look at verse 4. For they will turn away thy son from following me. You better believe it. A bit like Solomon. That they may serve other gods. And he certainly did. So will the anger of the Lord be kindled against you and destroy thee suddenly. A person gets saved. They start to walk with the Lord. 
If he is a guy, he might meet a woman. He might fall for her. He may think she is saved, only to discover that she's not saved. Now he's got a difficult situation in his hands. Or woman may meet a guy. She may think that he is saved. Marry him, only to discover that he's not a believer. And now it's a, it's a power struggle. Some years ago, we sat down and we interviewed a lady who'd come out of witchcraft. Interesting testimony. And it was a good testimony. And about three years ago, I got an email around this time of the year, incidentally, saying to me, have you heard that such and such is no longer a Christian? And I said, really? And they said, yes, you want to check out this for yourself. And I made some inquiries and I found where she was on Facebook. And I said, can I just clarify this with you? Because somebody is suggesting that you are no longer a Christian. Is it true? Or is somebody slandering you? She was quite honest. She said, yes, that's true. That's right, she said. That's right. I'm no longer a Christian. I'm now a witch. Although she didn't use the word witch, but that's what she is. I said, okay, thanks for letting me know. And I unfriended her and I took the video down. She was turned. She married an unsaved man. She thought he was saved. He wasn't saved, obviously. He was from the occult background. And he was able to get his wife into the occult. And as a result, uh, she is now apostatized. Probably never saved to begin with, although we don't know that for sure. And now she is an ex-Christian. Verse 5. But thus shalt ye deal with them. Ye shall destroy their altars and break down their images. And cut down their groves and burn their graven images with fire. But you won't find a Catholic doing this, will you? You won't find a Protestant doing this, will you? They've got statues in Anglican churches all over the world. And like I said, the Catholics are the worst. But here the Jews for their era were not only to refrain from mentioning such gods, not only were they meant to have nothing to do with such gods, they couldn't marry daughters of these Gentile pagans, but they were to destroy their altars, break down their images, pictures, statues, which we looked at last week from Numbers, cut down their groves and burn their graven images with fire. This is what it was like to be a Jew back in the Old Testament. And before you get all upset with me, the Jews were offered this covenant voluntarily. And they said, yes, we want to be a part of it. And the Lord said, okay, now you are a part of it. It's going to cost you something to follow me. I jump down to verse 9. Know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. Again, the term million isn't really a Hebrew term. It appears once in the Old Testament, but mainly the term thousand or thousands will be used to denote a long period of time. And repayeth them that hate him to their face. To destroy them, he will not be slack to him that hateth him. He will repay him to his face. So idolatry is as a result of hating the Lord, as a result of being corrupt in one's mind. And yes, I have my own image of what the Lord looks like, but I wouldn't dare paint him. And the Jews said this, well, we can't receive Jesus. He's an idol. Well, he would be an idol if he wasn't almighty God. But of course, Jesus Christ is almighty God. And also, we don't worship him in the sense of picturing him or painting him. We don't depict him with, with a graven image. And if you go back to Islamic history, if you go back to uh, Islamic historians, one of the things that they credit to the growth of their religion was the uh, apostasy, the graven images that were all around Arabia during the time of Muhammad and co. And there's probably some truth in that. With the collapse of the true church and with the initiation of the Church of Constantine and with the fall of the Roman Empire and with apostasy and wickedness all over the place, statues were all visible for people to see. And Muhammad, an illiterate warlord, said to himself and his followers, we don't want to be associated with all of these pagans, like pictures of Mary and Jesus and the popes and this and that. You know, we, want to, we want to be separate from that. We want nothing to do with that. And he was able to get his band of uh, rebels 
and pagans and barbarians, most of which couldn't even read or write, to follow him. He was partly right when it came to statues and idols and images. But of course his problem was he went from one demon to another demon. But when it comes to the word of God, when it comes to those of us which are saved, we want to be completely clean. We don't want to be associated with paganism, idols, so so forth. But look at verse 10 again. Repayeth them that hate him to their face. I'm going to pay you back. I'm going to face you face to face. Great white throne judgment to destroy them. Second death. He will not be slack to him that hateth him. He will repay him to his face. So you see the theme is repeated time after time when it comes to idolatry. How much the Lord hates this. And yet people say, well, I've got this gift of writing. I've got this gift of painting. I've got all these ideas. And I like to paint pictures of Jesus and pictures of God and seraphims and angels and this and that. And the Lord said, hold it. I don't want you to picture me or paint me. Because what do you think I look like? I don't. I don't want you to do that. You live by faith, not by sight. And this is one of the reasons why the Lord didn't appear physically en masse to the Jews back in the Old Testament. Because the moment he would have done so, get the old pen and paper out, getting a statue made up of what he looked like. Aaron, can you help us out? And can you stonemasons help us out? Can you paint him? Can you depict him? Can you get a, uh, can you get a statue together? We want to have something to remember him by. And the Lord said, don't even do it. If you do it, I will destroy you. Look at verse 16. And thou shalt consume all the people which the Lord thy God shall deliver thee. Thine eyes shall have no pity upon them, neither shalt thou serve their gods. But that will be a snare unto thee. The ecumenical movement is condemned. In both testaments and here, it really is warming up. Look at verse uh, 25. The graven images of their gods shall ye burn with fire. Picture of the second death, picture of the lake of fire. Thou shalt not desire the silver or gold that is on them. Nor take it unto thee, lest thou be snared therein. For it is an abomination to the Lord thy God. Neither shalt thou bring an abomination into thine house, lest thou be a cursed thing like it. But thou shalt utterly detest it, and thou shalt utterly abhor it. For it is a cursed thing. Don't touch it. Don't even associate with it. Don't bring it into your house. And if you do, Almighty God is going to pay you back face to face. Deuteronomy chapter 8, Deuteronomy chapter 8, Deuteronomy chapter 8, look at verse 19. And it shall be, if thou do at all forget the Lord thy God, and walk after other gods, and serve them, and worship them, I testify against you this day, that you shall surely perish. Physically and spiritually, of course, for the New Testament, if you are guilty of idolatry, and you don't get out of it, you become weak, sickly, and perhaps die. 20. As the nations which the Lord destroyeth before your face, so shall ye perish, because ye would not be obedient unto the voice of the Lord your God. And also, if you get into the habits of picturing the Lord, painting the Lord, you've already fallen foul of the Lord, because, as I say, your concept of him, go to chapter 12, is wrong, it is vanity, and who's to say down the line, some of your admirers won't buy one of your paintings and start worshipping the Lord. 1229, 12.29, when the Lord thy God shall cut off the nations from before thee, whither thou goest to possess them, and thou succeedest them, and dwellest in their land, take heed to thyself that thou be not snared by following them. After that they be destroyed from before thee, and that thou inquire not after their gods, saying, How did these nations serve their gods? Even so will I do likewise. Thou shalt not do so unto the Lord thy God, for every abomination to the Lord which he hateth, have they done unto their gods. For even their sons and their daughters. They have burnt in the fire to their gods. 
What things soever I command you, observe to do it, thou shalt not add thereto, nor diminish from it. So the Jews were warned time after time, don't even get tied up in this mess, and if you do, death will follow. Go to chapter 27. For today, there was spiritual idolatry, there was physical idolatry. Uh, the Church of England have also apostatized. They are into mysticism, they like to sit amongst themselves, a bit like the Quakers do, wait for a revelation to come. The Charismatics are, of course, the worst. And sometimes they get visits from these Charismatic people. And again, like I say, they will pray over them, put their hands on them. And it's my belief they will receive unclean spirits. 27.15, 27.15. Cursed be the man that maketh any graven or molten image, an abomination unto the Lord, the work of the hands of the craftsman, and putteth it in a secret place. And all the people shall answer and say, Amen. So that concludes the Old Testament. So I'll give you two from the New, and we will close. Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14. The Apostle Paul was a man on the move. And like I say, he was sent primarily to the uh, Gentiles. And he had to deal with the unbelieving Jews. First of all, hating him. And he had to deal with the believing Jews, who were jealous of all these Gentiles coming in, hanging around with Jewish leaders in the early church, like I say. And these Gentiles came in, mostly from paganism, and they were unclean in the eyes of the Jewish believers, and they were putting pressure on Simon Peter to backslide, to apostatize, and you know what? He did just that. 14.11 And when the people saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in the speech of Laocona, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. And they thought Paul and uh, Barnabas were gods, because of the miracles that they were doing. And when people think, or when people thought, that miracle men were just that, they would ascribe such as deity. And here you got the people seeing what was going on, and they say this again, how the gods are come down to us in the likeness of men. And they called Barnabas Jupiter, and Paul Mercurius, because he was a chief speaker. Then the priest of Jupiter, which was before their city, brought oxen and garlands under the gates, and would have done sacrifice with the people, going back to the Old Testament, which we just looked at this morning, don't sacrifice to their gods. They put their kids to the fire. Literally, they sacrifice their sons and their daughters to demons, devils. Same sort of a thing here. They want to pay sacrifice. They want to sacrifice, not Paul and Barnabas, but they want to sacrifice in honor of them. Which, when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of, they rent their clothes and ran in among the people, crying out and saying, Sirs, why do ye these things? We also are men of like passions with you and preach unto you that you should turn from these vanities unto the living God. That's repentance. Turn. Change of mind. Which made heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are therein. Going back to the first and second commandments. Who in times past suffered, allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. Yes, he did. And if they honored him, if they sought him out, if they followed him by righteousness, which is found over in Romans chapter 2, that would go in their favor at the judgment. Nevertheless, he left not himself without witness, in that he did good, and gave us rain from heaven, and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. So the text is pretty clear. Quit worshipping false gods. Worship the one true God. And this will lead into repentance, which I haven't got time to look at this morning. And here Paul is terrified that these pagans are going to start to sacrifice in honour of himself and Barnabas. And of course Paul was a Jew, had come from Jewry, had no interest in that. And that's why you find over in 1 John, and go to 1 John, the Apostle John, uh, making the case very clearly, right at the end of the first century, for Gentile believers to stay on track. 1 John chapter 5, look at verse 21. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. 
Little children, body of Christ, keep yourself some idols, amen. So idols can be a statue, can be an image, can be a relic, can be a picture, can be a painting. Can be a relic, can be someone, it can be something. And for the Jews, this was a major scourge. This was a major problem. They want to worship God, like Jehovah at times. They want to worship Baal. They wanted to worship Vulcan or some of the pagan gods, Osiris, etc., etc., and Moloch, another infamous one, along with Jehovah. And the Lord said, no, I don't want that. You worship me in spirit and in truth. And that's why when he appeared on the Mount, Ten Commandments, he's speaking. He's not physically appearing, although he's there physically, but they couldn't see him because had they seen him, Tragically, they would have got their pen and paper out. Of course, pens didn't exist back in the Old Testament, nor did paper, but you know what I mean. And they would have, they would have started to sketch him. And for the New Testament, this was a major problem for the Gentiles that came in. And that's why Paul mentions over in 1 Corinthians 6, how some of you are guilty of idolatry. And just it's possible to go back into your old way of life if you're not careful. So I think for now, we'll close it there, looking at the sin of idolatry. It results in the death penalty if you were guilty of such. For the New Testament, a Christian who is guilty of idolatry and doesn't quit it, doesn't repent of it, will almost certainly lose their millennial inheritance. That's how serious it is. And obviously, from Acts 14 and 1 John chapter 5, you can see it's trans-testimonial. It's transcultural. It covers both testaments. He hates it in the Old Testament, hates it in the New Testament. And if you are guilty of idolatry, bowing down to pictures, statues or images or idols or painting, pictures of the Lord Jesus Christ, God the Father or the Holy Ghost, quit doing it. In fact, I go one step further, destroy such paintings, pictures of the Lord. He hates it. He will punish you. He will plague you. He will chastise you. And on top of that, your family will suffer because they got the pictures in their homes. They can see what mum or dad have brought home or grandparents have brought home. And they are aware of it. And those kids, your kids, are going to be suffering the consequences of such wicked and crude depictions of the invisible God who can't be pictured mustn't be pictured mustn't be painted because your thoughts your views of him are inconsequential they are crude they are an abomination to him taken by faith trust him by faith and just rest in him and he should be more than enough for you